DW Africa Link It's yet another day and yet another episode of DW's Africa Link program Hello and a very warm welcome. My name is George Okachi. And I'm Josie Mahachi. We are streaming live from our Bond studios here in Germany through our partner stations across the continent and on our Facebook page, DW Africa. You can also find us on Spotify. So coming up on the program, Nigerians breast for electricity prices increase as government says subsidy no longer sustainable. It means very dangerous, very disastrous, very, very bad. And I don't know how to predict my own future and that of my family. If they said they should kind of increase the tariff or kind of a wave out subsidy, I don't think the common man will be able to afford electricity. Okay, also on the show we hear how Africa's electricity crisis is affecting young people. It affects us greatly because uh, now, as young people go to school, they are unable to study at night because of the, the electricity crisis, like load shading. We also have reactions to Guinea's Junta dissolution of government, but more of that after the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I am Okering Gushinado. South Africa testified at the International Court of Justice on Tuesday, urging the World Court to deem Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories as illegal. The South African representatives were speaking on the second day of hearings at the ICJ into a request by the General Assembly for a non-binding advisory opinion on the legality of Israel's policies in the occupied territories. South Africa's ambassador to the Netherlands, Wuzimizi Mandonzela, had this to say to the panel of 15 international judges. The occupation by Israel has been conducted in profound defiance of international law and hundreds of United Nations resolutions, with scant pushback from the international community. Consequently, Mr. President, that defiance by Israel has already led to the killing of tens of thousands of Palestinians. Rights groups are accusing Ethiopia's government of cracking down on dissent after authorities extended the state of emergency in the Amhara region earlier this month and carried out mass arrests. There are concerns a new wave of hostilities could worsen the humanitarian situation in Ethiopia's north. The current unrest in Amhara and the aftermath of the war in neighbouring Tigray have accelerated food shortages. The government recently admitted that hundreds of people have died due to starvation in recent months. The UN estimates that 20 million people need food assistance. The funeral for Kenyan World Marathon record holder Kelvin Kiptum, who was killed in a car crash this month, has been brought forward to Friday, the country's Athletics Federation has said. Kiptum's death just a few months after he smashed the world marathon record and before the Paris Olympics shocked his home country and the world of athletics. Kiptum was the latest in a number of Kenyan athletes to have lost their lives in recent years. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Authorities in Russia have opened a new criminal case against the brother of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Oleg Navalny was already on the wanted list for another matter. In 2014, Oleg Navalny was sentenced to three and a half years in prison for fraud in a case Kremlin critics said was trumped up. Now police say they have opened a new case but have not made the details of the charges clear. Meanwhile, the mother of Russian opposition leader has made a direct appeal to Vladimir Putin for his body to be released. 
Behind me is the prison colony where my son Alexei Navalny died on February 16th. For five days, I have not been able to see him. They have not released his body to me and have not even told me where it is. I appeal to you, Vladimir Putin, because the resolution of this problem depends solely on you. Let me finally see my son. I demand that Alexei's body be released immediately so that I can bury him properly. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has not appeared in a UK court in what might be his last chance to stop extradition to the US. Lawyers of the 52-year-old say he's unwell. His lawyers at London's High Court are trying to pursue judges there to grant a new appeal hearing. Assange is wanted by US prosecutors who want to put him on trial on spying charges. Assange's wife fears he could die if he ends up being extradited. That's the latest news. I am Okiri Gushinado. Thanks, Okeri. And you are listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Josie Mahachi. And Josie Mahachi is with me, Jojo Kachi. You can be part of the show by sending us your comments on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now, let us get on with our top story for today. In the face of persistent economic challenges and the ongoing struggle of Nigerians, the federal government recently announced that it cannot, in courts, continue to sustain electricity subsidy. Well, Josie, the country's Minister of Power said the new development came after 450 billion nairas allocated to the power sector for subsidy could not service the ministry demands of about 2 trillion nairas for that subsidies. Now, this is also coming days after the International Monetary Fund, IMF, advised President Bola Tinubu-led administration to completely phase out electricity subsidy in the country, despite the hardship Nigerians are facing because of removal of fuel subsidy earlier in May 2023. Now, as our correspondent Alamin Mohammed in Nigeria reports, experts, analysts and citizens believe that Nigerians are already, are already hard-pressed and should no longer be impoverished by taking electricity beyond their affordability. Nigerians may need to brace off for tougher times as federal government has been grappling with the challenge of subsidizing electricity within the Nigerian electricity supply industry. Electricity tariff is said to be increased because of a plan by the federal government to totally remove subsidy from electricity. Currently, the cost of electricity is unavoidable and awful large expense for homeowners. Baba Ganabukar Wakilengala is a middle-income earner living in Maiduguri, Borno State Capital. He says he spends over 30% of his income on electricity. My earning is not after 100000 in a month, but I consume electricity of more than 35000 so if you look at it, how much do you eat with your family? How much do you support to pay your child uh, school fees? And how much do you use to fill your car and come to office? This situation is very critical. Elizabeth Ami is also a low-income earner from northeastern Nigeria. Her life, like most other Nigerians, is finely balanced on the thin margin between her income and her financial commitments. She says she uses few things in her house to spend less on electricity. I disconnect some of the things I used before. I have curtailed my usage. Because of my salary and my wage, I have curtailed some of the things I use in order for me to be able to meet up. Both Babagana and Elizabeth 
are of the view that if government removes the subsidy on electricity, most Nigerians will not be able to cope with the cost of electricity without subsidy. It means very dangerous, very disastrous, very, very bad, and I don't know how to predict my own future and that of my family. I don't like it. Please, they shouldn't try it. If they said they should kind of increase the tariff or kind of a wave out subsidy, I don't think the common man will be able to afford electricity. It will not be a common thing for the common man anymore. Analysts believe that removing electricity subsidy at this moment, when Nigerians are already suffering from the removal of fuel subsidy, will be another burden to the people. Professor Lowell Japara Tahir is a political analyst from Yobe State University, Damaturu. Removing the subsidy on electricity in this critical economic condition is a serious miscalculation on the side of the federal government. Currently, the common man is suffering from the removal of oil subsidy. The prices of commodity and other goods are skyrocketing on daily basis in this country. Now we are talking about removing electricity subsidy. This is a very nasty decision. So if there is other alternative, I think the economic expert in the government cycle should return back to the round table for another way out. A rising cost of living blamed on the federal government's policies of the petroleum subsidy removal and floating of the Naira has become something to worry about in Nigeria with some Nigerians hitting the streets in some states to protest. Recently, African Development Bank has raised an alarm that rising prices of fuel and other commodities could lead to social arrest in Nigeria, Ethiopia, Angola and Kenya. Thank you, Mohamed Alma Amin, for that report out of Nigeria. Now, still on the electricity crisis, which is affecting many countries in Africa, I should say, and according to experts, is becoming a significant hindrance to the continent's economic growth. Many uh, people must work at night in countries like you, as Josie, I'm told, Mm -hmm. uh, because there is no electricity during uh, the day. And I mean Zimbabwe. In Nigeria, Cameroon, Kenya and some parts of Ghana, power outages are common, making life unbearable for many. But the billion dollar question, like you always like to say, George, is but should Africa with all its resources be facing such a problem in the first place. Now, on this latest episode of the uh, 77%, our correspondent in Johannesburg, South Africa, Tusokumalo, hosted a panel of young people on the subject that has been animating debates in Africa, leaving several young people frustrated. Welcome to the 77% debate coming to you live from Tembisa in Johannesburg, South Africa. With me here is a group of young people and we are discussing the energy crisis in the country. For over 15 years now, South Africa has been experiencing serious power cuts due to shortage of electricity. This, of course, has seen citizens going for up to eight hours in some cases without electricity. In some cases, people are being mugged as they walk in the dark at night, and many people are losing their jobs as well as their companies are losing out on production time. But how has this affected young people? To unpack the effects of these power cuts on young people with me here, are the following young people. Nomvula Mavimbela, Mpo Banda, Lebu Rambulemo, Aluta Temani, Apollo Vela Mbolambi, Peggy, and Ngubego Ngumalo. Welcome to our program, guys. Thank you. All right, uh, to you, Apollo. To what extent does the current uh, power crisis affect the young people? It affects us greatly because uh, now, as young people go to school, um, especially the metrics, they are unable to study at night because of the, the electricity crisis, like load shading. 
we are not being accepted in universities, in colleges because of our lower level marks. And due to that, um, the, the young people, they have stress, they are unemployed. And because of that, they end up what consuming drugs for them to, to lower the pain of them not seeing themselves in future, like being someone great in their lives. Who, who do you think is to blame for all this mess that's affecting so much the future of young people? Um, it's the government. The government only thinks about themselves. It does not care about other people who are under them. It's only them having their life, being, enjoying themselves, forgetting about the people that they must be representative of them. Looking wider into Africa, what are the root causes exactly because many countries are suffering from this problem? There is a lot of corruption in, South, in Africa, like Africa as a whole, and then it's even worse in South Africa. That's when the, the, the problem starts, especially the one who's ruling us. Like the ANC doesn't work. There are so many criminals on ANC. They are very corrupt. They are failing us. Coming to you, Aluta, this seems to be a big problem. Yes, we're just suffering on our own because there's many years that we don't have electricity and there's, there's none. Peggy, tell us again about the phones. You're saying you use phones but you can't charge them. Wi-Fi needs electricity to, to wake. When there's no electricity, you cannot use Wi-Fi. And you cannot be able to charge the phone. That's, you cannot be able to do anything with the phone without electricity. You need Wi-Fi, you need battery for the phone to work. That is our very own Tuso Kumalo, who had a panel of discussion on this uh, raging uh, topic of power outages in African uh, continent. And of course, we did throw the same question on our Facebook page, Josie, and we asked why is that and what needs to be done to ensure a constant and reliable e- electricity supply for the continent. Rhonda Kaonga says power outages in Africa is due to lack of political will and our political leaders. And Paul Wisdom is saying mismanagement is the highest problem in African countries. That's because African leaders don't care about people but themselves. And Munat Frank also says corruption is a common issue in Africa, especially here in Uganda, where electricity is only available in urban areas. And of course, keep your comments coming because this is DW's Africa Link. So yes, uh, you're listening to DW's Africa Link program. We broadcast every Monday to Friday from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. And I'm always seated on the right side of Josie, but not all the times. <laughs> My name is George Okay, Akachi. and I'm Josie Mahachi. Thank you so much for saying that, George. And join the show on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and share your thoughts on the stories that we are covering. Remember, you can also catch this episode on Spotify. Now, still to come on the program, Guinea Junta has freezed accounts of dissolved government members. So what are people in Conakry saying about this? The complete sacking of the ministers, I believe, is in the interest of the state. The new government must address the difficulties in the country and the sufferings of the people. 
Right, and this is the conversation we begin with on this part of the show. Guinea's ruling junta has ordered government members' passports to be seized and their bank accounts frozen after dissolving the administration for as yet unknown reasons. Now, the military who took power in uh, September 2021 coup on Monday decreed the dissolution of government which has been in office since July 2022. Our correspondent Karim Kamara has been monitoring the situation and I spoke to him a while ago. I started by finding the latest. Well, no reason has officially been given by the junta as to why um, the junta leader Mamadi Dumbe decided uh, to dissolve completely uh, the entire government. But from what we believe is that um, the outgoing government have been tainted with a lot of vices, such as corruption, human rights abuses, and bad governance. The most, most of them have been seen buying government lands, have been seen by private lands, houses, and all the rest. So, and then while the people in Guinea are going to bed with um, empty, empty stomach. Uh, empty stomachs indeed, Karim, but it is puzzling that no reason has yet been given publicly for the measures uh, by the junta. But it comes hot on the heels uh, of the evident difference among the rank and file within the junta's regime. Could this be Mamadid Mbuya reaffirming his leadership and proving that he remains the sole master? Well, there have been tensions, there have been tensions between the government, between members of the government. Even recently, at the Minister of Justice and the Prime Minister and have been quarrelling over the execution of um, some others. So this also coupled with other different things, such as the high uh, price uh, of living in the country, which really has annoyed a lot of people. And even yesterday, uh, it happened. A lot of lot of uh, boys were on the street demonstrating. At least one boy was killed. Several of this youth uh, got wounded. Karim, the discontentment among people in Conakry is certainly unquestionable. But do you think the junta dissolved his government to quell dissatisfaction? And, and what are Guineans saying? Well, Guineans here are, have divided, are divided over the issue. This is how some people on the street of Conakry have reacted to the news. The complete sacking of the ministers, I believe, is in the interest of the state. The new government must address the difficulties in the country and the sufferings of the people. The incoming government needs to take precautions in advancing the country. It must have the capacity to solve all the problems in the country, and then it will be the best solution. Dissolving the entire government of the nation is not good for the country, and it's not the solution because it will set the country further backward. I'm not satisfied with what he has done. It's not normal to dismiss all members of the government of a nation like this. It is truly a catastrophe for the country. In my opinion, he should call upon all opposition members to form a national unity government that would bring about an immediate change in the situation. Karim, is Colonel Mamadou Dumbuya committed to returning the government to elected civilians by the end of 2024? Well, to see whether um, Mamadou Dumbuya is committed to uh, returning to the country to a uh, civilian and, uh, government, that is yet to be seen. Because, as we speak, Guinea is yet to have a new constitution that is not be, that is not been seen because it is one of the, it's one of the pillars uh, behind um, the uh, the exit 
of the military junta. Members of the political parties here are uh, accusing ECOWAS of playing double standard in the Guinean political situation, unlike what they've been doing in uh, in Niger, in Burkina Faso, and in Mali. But they say Guinea's case is aside. Karim Kamara, many thanks for that. And of course, we asked you, why do you think there are still wrangles in the Guinean government over two years after the military seized power in a coup? And Robert Kwame says perhaps he has found out that the ministers have been compromised and very soon for which the coup happened. The very reason, yeah, you know, because of course he has to learn from what happened last time. And Kaifala Fofana says from Liberia, I think they are not really politically breathing well due to the fear of the khaki men in arms. And uh, we have uh, GIJ saying, good move, they are fighting corruption. Those ministers need uh, to be investigated very, very well. Alaji Kamara says Guinean are used to coup and instability. They think the khaki boys are the solution, but we people of Sierra Leone know how bad military rules are. Thank you so much for those comments. Keep them coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now to Southern Africa. Malawi has begun moving female inmates from prison facilities they shared with male prisoners. Authorities say the transfer to female-only prisons is intended to place the women in an environment more conducive to their well-being. Yes, Josie, I remember uh, some months ago we covered mm-hmm. uh, this story and, and it was somehow puzzling to understand how female inmates mm. were we'll able to the same. coexist with their male <laughs> counterparts. And how, how does it work? Uh, do you know? Would you know? I live with boys, so it's normal. (laughs) (laughs) It's normal. Well, but for more details on this Malawian story, here is my namesake, George Muhango. Sounds of joy because female prison facilities are now operational, providing education and vocational skills. The move follows Malawi's decision last year to abolish the general prison system and establish separate prisons for female inmates. Until this year, female inmates in Malawi would not attend classes along their male counterparts due to fears of bullying and verbal abuses. Such tendencies led to a disparity in the provision of education to all as enshrined in Malawi's constitution. Gender equality campaigner Ruth Kaima fights for the good welfare of inmates. One of the core objectives of uh, prison is to actually help people reform and one of them is by equipping them with different skills. I think um, in the recent past, we've seen prisoners graduating from secondary school and even going to college, which was not accorded to women. There are 412 female prisoners and some of them are happy. Only those serving lighter senses are subjected to lessons and transfers to all female prisons. You know, people have been discriminating us, thinking that just because we are offenders, we can't make it in life. But, my friends, please let us work hard, eh? So that when we leave this place, we should have at least a certificate, which will be very important for our life. We were subjected to discrimination because it was only male inmates who could attend classes and vocational skills. But with this move targeting females as well, I'm happy because my dream will be 
achieved. I felt it was a job to be transferred to an all-female prison facility and to be taught to start attending school sessions. Malawi Prison Spokesperson Chimemeshawa said initiatives are continuing to have more female prisons where education should be provided. Education is now provided at Mzuzu, Kachere and Toro female prison facilities only. Female prisons are now meant to place women in a suitable environment unlike before. This is why human rights advocate Robert Mkwezalamba thinks it is long overdue. The major reason why majority of the people are behind bars is because of ignorance of the law. If they were educated and they went to school, majority would not have committed the offenses that they committed that landed them in prison. So having an education, they will know their limits, rights and responsibilities, but more importantly, they will advance their skill on a particular trade. George Muhango with that particular development from Malawi. And I mean, it's a step in the right direction. And mm-hmm. considering that the rights of these women were really being compromised. Especially when you see the men being taken for these lessons and you are being told that you can't because you are just a woman, you know. But now at least it's balanced and I feel this is a good thing for them. By the time they leave um, the prison, I'm mm-hmm. sure they will be so equipped to move their lives forward. Yeah, because you, you see, last time when uh, Muhango reported the story, it was mm. like the women were feeling intimidated to be close to their other male, you know, inmates. Mm-hmm. Of In course, that, I mean, it's it's not comfortable. It's really not comfortable living with men that know your partner, it's not your family, it's not your child. You know, it's it's very uncomfortable. But then, I mean, it's prison, yeah? So yeah, you, sure. you have no choice. <laughs> Definitely, we'll wait yeah. and see and, uh, how this uh, develops as, uh, you know, the days goes by. Now to some showbiz. Nigerian megastar Brenner Boy headlined a sold-out event in the Bahamas. I mean, Brenner Boy is known for selling out all his concerts, right? His incredible talent is driving export of Nigerian music across the globe, captivating audiences worldwide with perform- performances. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you've said that uh, all his, you know, performances are all sold out. And normally we say the sky is the limit whenever someone is no, there's no sky. Is there a sky for Banner Boy now? <laughs> there's no sky. There was even a debate at the last concert when people were saying, Are you sure that he's not giving some of his friends also free tickets? Because I mean, this is just too, it was over super packed, George. Are you sure he's not giving up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but for more on showbiz, here is uh, Aram Atipo. Thousands of fans were treated to an electrifying experience as Benna Boy performed captivating collection of his chart-topping hits. The Grammy winner stole the spotlight at the Spillgate Festival in the Bahamas, which is a historic achievement. With this, his status as a global sensation is cemented. Benna Boy's popular song Last Last has been a huge commercial success, propelling him to consistently headline performances around the Caribbean. And now to some sports. The 2025 AFCON in Morocco is scheduled to take place in July and August of that year under an agreement reached with the Confederation of African Football CAF. This is to prevent any interference with the June 2025 first-ever 32-team club World Cup. The postponement of an African competition is not new. And talk about postponement. The electricity company of Ghana, ECG, has pulled the plug at the Accra Sports Stadium due to a hefty €30,000 debt owed. 
This power outage occurred last night just as workers hustled to prepare the venue for Friday's Paris 2024 Olympic football qualifier match between Zambia's women's national team and Ghana's Black Queens. Ghanaian's officials, however, say the match will go on as scheduled. Apart from Friday's critical Olympic qualifier, the Accra Sports Stadium is slated to host all men's football action and two other events at the 2023 African Games starting next month. And finally, the first leg of Champions League round of 16 resume today and Borussia Dortmund means business as they face PSV, their head coach Edin Tazig has asserted. Dortmund's track record in Champions League knockout stages is challenging, having lost eight of their last nine games. In other matches on cards today, Inter Milan will welcome Atletico Madrid in San Siro, FC Porto will face the Ghanaian Arsenal, while Napoli face Xavi led Barcelona. And that's all for showbiz. Mm. Area Matipa with that amazing showbiz presentation. Now we asked on our Facebook page, what's your take on the man selected for the AFCON tournament that is in 2025 at the Tunji? TJ says, he who pays the piper detects the tune. The FIFA proposal is hereby accepted. And Alex Mose said, that's a good move for African football that even European clubs can send their scouts to select our players. So for me, for AFCON to be played in July to August and not January, is a good gesture for us. Mm. And Van Wolipa says that's why uh, without Africa, Europe can't stand on its own. Mm-hmm. And on that <laughs> note, <laughs> we just to beg, you know, uh, like to leave you and on behalf of the entire team, my name is George Okachi. And mine is Josie Mahachi. Until tomorrow, take care. for mine.